All right, what a blessing to be able to share this time together. Hey, if you're joining us for the first time, I'm Pastor Terry, the lead pastor here at Cornerstone Church in San Francisco, and I realize that uh, many of you are, are listening in different parts of, yeah, even the world. And it's a, it's a great blessing to be able to share this time together with you. So whether you're near or far, whether you're joining us, like I said, for the first time, or whether you've been a longtime member of our Cornerstone community, it is a, a gift to be able to have this time together. And I'm so looking forward to seeing you strengthened and encouraged. Uh, even now, Lord, I just, I just pray for your uh, blessing. I do. As we talk about the way of blessing, I ask for your blessing to fall upon us. You know what we need. You know the words we need to hear. You know what's going on in our lives. You know the pressure we're under. You know the weight we are bearing. You know the struggles within and the struggles without. You are our good shepherd. You walk with us. We're not alone. And we welcome you even now to fill us with wisdom and understanding. Meet us, Lord, we pray, with your goodness and grace on this good day in Jesus' name. Yes, Lord. Uh, I want to share with you what I think is a key concept a key truth about the way of blessing, and it has to do with relationships. I think a lot of us understand that a life of blessing is always going to be connected to our relationships with other people. And we're going to explore the idea of relational health and its connection to the speed of trust. So relational health and the speed of trust. And we're going to re-engage a uh, with the, the narrative we've been sitting with for the past weeks, the book of Genesis and the 46th chapter, we're going to pick back up with Jacob and actually watch how he is reunited with Joseph. You talk about a relational moment and we're going to learn from it. Some of you may recall, if you haven't had a chance to listen to last week's message, I would encourage you to do so. But we explored how, uh, Judah was, uh, the one who emerged as Jacob's most trusted son. In fact, we read in verse 28 that he, Jacob, had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to show the way before him in Goshen. And they came into the land of Goshen. Um, if, if you may recall that Goshen was the land that had been set aside specifically. It was a beautiful part of the Nile Valley that had been set apart by Joseph just for them. And Jacob had sent Judah, his fourth born son ahead. And, you know, it's, it's pretty clear that, that Jacob had come to in his advanced years, really rely on Judah. And I think the reason he relied on Judah was because Judah had shown himself to be reliable. And, you know, uh, there can be no question that Judah's life had been impacted by uh, pain and tragedy. And, and yet it had, instead of made him bitter and, and angry, it had made him better and seemingly more empathetic. And that, that's a reminder of what God wants to do when we find ourselves in seasons of hardship or loss. It, and maybe some of us are feeling like that right now. I think it's hard to to not feel in, to some degree that we've all walked through and are still in a season of loss. I mean, this pandemic 
has been relentless. And in these places, God actually can grow us if we allow him to help us. He will grow us past even some of the things that maybe wouldn't have changed in, in our lives if we hadn't had to struggle a little bit with things that were kind of, you know, deeply impacting our world. You know, I'm talking about our world, our, our lives. You know, so yes, in a larger sense, our world has been impacted, but this past season has also impacted our world, our, the circles of our life, uh, both within us and without us relationally. And so this, this message has a tremendous amount of meaning and value because it meets us exactly where I think we need it most. And again, I, I was just, you know, noticing when I looked at the verse that Jacob had come to rely on Judah. And I think we understand that reliability is a very underestimated quality. It really is. You know, reliability tends to lead to stability and stability. The more secure we are, the more stable we are, the more at peace we tend to be. Do you see the connection? So having reliable people in our lives, <laughs> people that we can depend on tends to drop our anxiety levels. It helps our overall well-being. When we are surrounded with unreliability, we tend to find ourselves far more disturbed. And I think that sounds obvious, but it's a reminder of some things, isn't it? That you and I need to be really grateful for the people in our lives that we have, have come to view as reliable, dependable, uh, People who, when they say they will do something, they do it. When they, you know, say they will be at a place at a certain time, they are. That there is a, a dependability that really allows for us to have an island of security in a sea of change and insecurity, right? And I think that begs another question, doesn't it? It does. Are we reliable? How are we in our relationships? Can people, loved ones, can people, especially people we love, count on us? Are we trustworthy? You know, do some of us have a tendency to show up to places late? Do we sometimes bail when we say we are going to do something? Or have we established a reputation with people who are especially closest to us, but also at work that can be depended on, counted on that honor deadlines and, uh, don't need to be, uh, you know, pushed, but we've got our own internal, you know, kind of drive to, you know, we, we manage ourselves. I've always talked about this, that the first person we ever lead is ourselves. And uh, I was reminded of a, a wonderful verse that talks about this in 1 Corinthians 4, 2. It says, moreover, it is required of stewards, look at this, that they be found faithful. This is from the ESV. So faithfulness, it, you know, is a key thing. <laughs> it really is. Uh, any manager, anyone who's been given something to oversee, anyone who's been entrusted, the key quality is faithfulness. It's essential for a manager to be trustworthy. I remember a, a, a book, uh, 
that I read called The Speed of Trust by Stephen M. R. Covey. And, and, I'm, and I'm not talking about Stephen Covey, who wrote the classic, uh, the bo a book I just loved called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. But I'm talking about his son, Stephen M. R. Covey. And uh, the book he wrote, The Speed of Trust, uh, really explores the multi multiplying effect that trust has in business and in life. I mean, he, he really digs into this concept. You know, what, he, what Kobe points out is that much of the dysfunction and unhappiness we experience, for example, in the workplace is due to low trust. I mean, he makes the case that low trust hampers and hinders, but high trust streamlines and allows for uh, initiative to be seized. And in that sense, when we have trust, relational trust, whether it's in work or home life, but specifically as, as Covey was getting into it, he, it, it becomes an incredible time saver, right? Because the reason trust is huge is because little energy is lost trying to double check uh, and protect, right? We don't want to be taken advantage of. We don't want to be misunderstood. So when there's a high degree of trust, it's easy to communicate. There are no, no need. There's a, well, there's less of a need to qualify communication. There are ways of, you know, working with one another that have been established with a trust base. That means that I don't have to waste my energy wondering if, well, are you trying to manipulate me here? Like there's, there's this safety. Trust brings safety. And safe, when, when we feel safe in a relationship, it allows us to work without having to have this other thing running at a parallel you know, kind of track where we're also trying to make sure that we're not getting taken advantage of. Um, you know, we don't want to be naive. At the same time, we, we want to assume the best. So you've got all these other factors that are involved when you don't have an established pattern of relational trust. But when we have relational trust, Wow, we have the capacity to move quickly. Uh, we're not wasting energy on trying to double check if a person's, you know, has a different motive. We can we can move together, and there's the ability to have what actually is referred to in the other book, the Seven Habits book, as synergy. And synergistic relationships are powerful because. They, they allow us to go far beyond what we could ever do on our own. If two people are working on their own, when they work in synergy, it creates a, a third alternative that has a much higher ceiling than if it was just the two of us working on our own separately and then adding up what we've accomplished. Synergistic relationships have the ability to take off. Synergistic rela relationships are absolutely dependent on trust. I was, um, I wanted to share with you something he wrote. Uh, this is, uh, Stephen M. R. Covey wrote in the speed of trust. He called it the one thing that changes everything, but look at this, look at what he writes here. And I just want us to sit with it. Low trust causes friction wherever it is caused by unethical behavior, whether it is caused by unethical behavior or by ethical, but incompetent behavior, because even good intentions can never take place of bad judgment. That's true. But low trust is the greatest cost in life and in organizations, including families. Low trust, look at this, creates hidden agendas, politics, interpersonal conflict, interdepartmental rivalries, win-lose thinking, defensive and protective communication, all of which reduce the speed of trust. Low trust 
slows everything, every decision, every communication, and every relationship. Think about that. Covey goes on to say that trust is equal parts character and competence. You can look at any leadership failure and it always is always a failure of one or the other. Think about that. Either the character or the competence. And then he says this in a high trust relationship, you can say the wrong thing and people will still get your meaning in a low trust relationship. You can be very measured, even precise, and they still misinterpret you. I said all that because one of the things that stands out in the Genesis account is that Jacob had come to trust Judah. And that is no small thing. It's also, I might add, one of the most outstanding qualities that Joseph possessed. So it shows up now in the life of Judah, but of course, when we studied the life of, of Joseph in 2020 and the early part of 2021, we were using Joseph's life as a way of staying, you know, resilient. And one of the things that emerges, um, as a just outstanding quality of Joseph, as some of you may recall, is that he was trustworthy. So trustworthy, even to his own hurt. Because if we drill down and and besides the fact that Joseph was also an excellent worker. So if you want to just use Joseph as a case study for workplace, uh, and what, what it looks like to have a quality worker or manager, Joseph models character and competence. He is an outstanding blend of both a person with a character that is aligned with the things of God. So it's not dependent on the, the climate the cultural climate. At the same time, he also has a, a, you know, competency, a skill set that he brings to the table that can't be, you know, overlooked even by his critics. And I think that if we drill down, we will see that a big part of even, even the excellence of Joseph's work, uh, we would come to understand that it was because Joseph saw himself as really someone who wasn't really working for the people who had authority over him. He was really working for God or under God. That, that was a big part of the secret of his success. We can put it that way. He, he wasn't working for a man or a woman or a corporation. He was, he was working for the Lord. He, wherever he was, he worked for the Lord whether it was for his father, Jacob, or in the house of Potiphar as a, as a slave, really a high level slave, but a slave nonetheless, or whether it was in prison, helping the warden, or whether it was ultimately in the court of Pharaoh as the one second only to the, the great Pharaoh of Egypt, Joseph was the same man. And that is remarkable to me. And of course that connects to another New Testament, uh, exhortation. This one is in Colossians three. It says in verse 23, work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving. Look at this is Christ. This is why I believe that Christians, 
Yes. I'm talking about true followers of the way of Jesus are to be some of the best workers in the world. Like we should be, and I know it's a, it's a pretty challenging uh, climate right now in a lot of workplace environments. And you always got to watch your back it seems. And there's a lot of pressure and to just go along with the flow and to say things the way everybody wants them said. And I get all that. I'm not dismissing it, but over time, people, people will notice character and trustworthiness and reliability. And if that flows out of our relationship with the Lord, it will, it will affect people. It will let your light so shine before men that they may see Jesus said your good works and glorify your father who is in heaven. But let's go back to Genesis 46. It says, and we'll just pick back up. It says, then Joseph prepared his chariot and he went up to meet Israel. That's Jacob, his father in Goshen. So we see this reunion moment and he presented himself to him, we're told. And he just fell on his neck and he wept on his neck a good while. I mean, one of the things that comes up a lot is that Joseph was a man who, ah, he just, he, he wept a lot. He had, he, he had a lot of just emotional vulnerability. And that's another character quality of this man. And, you know, he can't help it. He sees Jacob and he just, the tears flow, right? It must've been as he was making his way to see his father who he hadn't seen for over two decades. It must've been a moment of incomparable anticipation, right? For you, I don't even, I, I tried to imagine my mind's eye, Joseph on his chariot, uh, thinking in his mind, because I, you know, I know when I've anticipated reunions and I think Joseph is just, you know, as he's racing through the Egyptian sands, I wonder what is racing through his mind. And he's, I, I, I personally feel as the, the, the Sahara heat is, is, you know, the desert heat is flowing at him. Tears are falling and they're streaming down his face, the dust covered face, but for, you know, and then finally, when he sees his aged father, he can't contain himself, right? He can't contain himself. You know, he, he's tears overcome him. The, the great Egyptian Zafneth Panea throws himself upon his father, embracing him and crying for a long time. And everybody must have watched it. Joseph, Joseph, my son, Jacob says, as he too is overcome. Look what he says. Israel, verse 30 said to Joseph, now let me die. I've seen your face, oh, my son. And I know you are still alive, right? This beautiful moment. And then not soon after that, Joseph, after they've collected themselves and loved on each other, <laughs> he pauses to give his family some shrewd and prudent advice. In fact, he he meticulously prepares them for an interview that he has arranged with Pharaoh. Remember, it's like <laughs> the best way I can describe it, it's like being invited into the Oval Office and Joseph, or maybe to the court of the queen, you know, Joseph wants them to understand what he is going to do. And he wants them to uh, respond to Pharaoh. I mean, he, this is one more time. We see it. Joseph is a man who lived for God, trusted God, and yet does not neglect the practical, pragmatic aspects of relational, you know, connectivity. 
And uh, he, he has a wisdom for living that is also a part of who he is. And I think he's a tremendous pattern. He's both trusting the Lord and at the same time being as precise as he can be to be attentive to the details. He will do his part. It's not about, oh, God will take care of it. God will take care of it. Yeah, yes, God did take care of it. And he believed that and he had a reason to believe that. And at the same time, it didn't mean that he wasn't going to be attentive to the things that were directly his responsibility and to properly assess the environment and be as shrewd as possible within it. So look what it says in verse 31. Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and I will tell Pharaoh and I will say to him, this is what I'm going to tell him. My brothers and my father's household who were in the land of Canaan, Canaan have come to me. And the men, these men, my family, they are shepherds. Now they have been keepers of livestock and you know, they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. So Joseph is kind of letting, he's telling them, I'm going to tell this to Pharaoh. And then I'm going to mention to him that you are really good with the animals and, and sheep in particular. And, and when Pharaoh calls you and says, well, what is your occupation? You, you, this is what I want you to say. This is something that you guys wouldn't be aware of, but I, I am because I understand just, you just need to trust me here. You shall say, verse 34, your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth. Even until now, we're an agricultural people, both we and our fathers in order that you may dwell in the land of Goshen for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. So when, when is, you know, the part of the tribe, you know, Jacob's clan, Joseph's family, part of what they did was they, they, they raised sheep as well. And that was viewed as a very unclean occupation for the Egyptians. It was at best something that they wanted accommodated if they were to do it at a distance. And that's exactly what Joseph wanted for them as well. He wanted, he wanted his family to have space and freedom to grow as a people distinct from dominant Egyptian culture. That's just what he wanted. And he, the the culture that by the way, he had been forced to adapt to and had right. And knew so well, it was now his world. But he wanted his family to be able to have the space they needed. And so, you know, he's going to use the fact that they need this land because they're shepherds and it's probably good for them to be a little bit away from, you know, where a lot of other people are. And, and he was just going to try to use everything to, uh, that he pos- possibly could in his most positive way <laughs> to create a, 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 a place for them to be that would be relatively unmolested from the, the cultural norms. So there was both a, a, a practical side to this and a prudent side to this. Genesis 47, it says that, so Joseph went in and he told Pharaoh, my father and my brothers with their flocks and herds and all that they possess have come from the land of Canaan. And they are now in the land of Goshen. They've arrived. My family's arrived. And from among his brothers, he took five men. So five of the brothers and he presented them to Pharaoh. Who were the five? We don't know. Pharaoh said to his brothers, so what is your occupation? Joseph, remember, he had told them, this is what's going to happen. And they said, Pharaoh to Pharaoh, uh, your, sh- your servants uh, are shepherds as our fathers were. Um, we, we come from a, a, a people, a long line of shepherds. And they said to Pharaoh, we have come to, to sojourn in the land for there is 
no pasture, as you know, the, the famine is so severe, for there is no pasture for your servants' flocks in the land of Canaan. And, and now, please, if, if it would be, uh, let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. That would be our, our most humble request. And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you. Huh? The land of Egypt, I tell you now is before you settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Yes. Let them settle in the land of Goshen. Why not? And if you know any able men among them, put them in charge of my livestock stock as well. <laughs> we get the impression that Pharaoh, after watching Joseph operate, wonders if genius runs in the family after he's watched Joseph, you know, literally run his business so well, he thinks, well, maybe they've got a, a knack for it. So in addition to the land and free rent, if you want it, you've got a job. <laughs> wow. You want to talk about an amazing development. And then says verse seven, Joseph brought in Jacob, his father and stood before him and, and before Pharaoh and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. I love this. Can you imagine this moment? Try you guys as Joseph goes and gets Jacob and slowly leads his aged father into the court. Everybody's watching all the courtesans, uh, Pharaoh's entourage, the brothers, uh, you know, Jacob's sons, Joseph's brothers, they're all watching as the doors open and Jacob dressed like a, a nomadic shepherd, whoa, a prosperous one, but a nomad nonetheless is being led in by Joseph who himself, Joseph is an Egyptian in his makeup and clothing, but he's leading his father in and slowly. And then Jacob that we're told, uh, leans on his staff. All right. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many, cause probably took a little time to get Jacob in front of Pharaoh. Imagine Pharaoh sitting and Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many are the days of the years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Yes. And few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. That is that that's the a way of saying, and these years have not been pain free years. And they have not attained the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their sojourning. And Jacob, Jacob is saying essentially, ah, I have not, <laughs> I have not lived as long as my fathers before me, though I have lived a long life. And then something a bit unexpected says in verse 10, and we'll leave it here. Jacob blessed Pharaoh and he went out from the presence of Pharaoh. I don't think, I mean, that was precious and unanticipated. It wasn't arranged. I mean, Jacob blesses Pharaoh. I love that. I love that. He 
Pharaoh is the most powerful man in the world or the known world at that time. And it is Jacob with a, a small clan of nomadic shepherds comes in to some degree dependent on the largesse of Pharaoh in Egypt. And yet it is he who blesses Pharaoh. <laughs> and, you know, I think probably most likely Joseph and maybe even some of the, the officials were caught off guard by the, 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 the seeming disregard for decorum because he didn't bless the, almost the demigod. You don't, you don't, you don't bless Pharaoh. I mean, Pharaoh is obeyed, not blessed, right? But, but for Jacob, uh, you know, Pharaoh's kindness was worthy of a blessing. And Pharaoh seemed to be fine with it. He was fine being prayed, prayed for and blessed. And as Joseph witnessed the remarkable moment, he too must have felt so blessed. Hey, you guys, I want to say something. Yes, I do. It's okay to be blessed. <laughs> it's okay to be blessed. It's okay to be happy with life. It's okay to say right now, ah, life is good. It's okay to have a good season. We got enough, like Jacob said, we have enough days filled with pain and enough tough seasons. When we get the, when we get the ones that are good, let's, let's rejoice in them, right? Let's rejoice in them. You know, so much of, of what we talk about has to do with how we negotiate the difficult and hard places of life. What I call the thorns and the thistles, the products of our sin impacted world that we all have to deal with and are dealing with on a regular daily basis. Uh, but I think it's true. What has been said, you and I, if we know Jesus and have him in our lives, and if you haven't had a chance to welcome him in, just say, Lord, I want you to be my Lord and my savior. And let us know, and we'll pray with you and help you get started. But it has been said that those who follow Jesus are Easter people living in a Good Friday world. We're Easter people living in a Good Friday world. Good Friday was the place where Jesus was crucified. That's the pain and that's the brokenness of this life. But Easter was the time of resurrection and hope and possibility. And you and I are to be Easter people living in a Good Friday world. Um, you know, there are going to be those seasons of newness where we just, just, you know, we just need to be thankful and grateful and let joy fill us. You know, sunrises when the sky is awash with the goodness of God and, and the trees clap their hands with joy. You know, let those times of, of, of sunshine fill us. Yeah. Smile on our face, extra hop in our step. Why not? Let's enjoy the sunshine. You know, I know we talk a lot about managing the rain, but I also want to enjoy the sunshine and be okay with happy times and enjoy the special people in our lives and determine in our heart to be grateful for reunions and blessings and laughter and love and all the blessings of God that we don't deserve. You know, we often sit with the pain that we, and the, the disappointment we think we don't deserve. Well, how about the gifts and the goodness 
we don't deserve, but yet we're given. And I'm grateful for that. You know, I am. I want you to be grateful too. And the last thing I would say about that, and it's something that we opened with, but you know, we opened this teaching, this message with, but let's endeavor to be, and I just put this up one more time. Let's endeavor to be a people of trust, seeking to build high trust relationships by seeking to be by God's strength, a high trust people. All right. I want to be a high trust person. I mean, that's what God is to me. I trust him. That's what the Lord is for you. That's what he wants us to be for others. Lord, help us to be that. Yeah. Help us to be that. We're so blessed. We are. And we're going to share a song that, that talks about that. I've got another thought to share on the backside. I do want to remind everybody, this is the time I get to do it to all my friends and family online. Don't forget time of giving opportunity to give at least to make, to make it known the ways in which you can give. And so many of you, if you have done so beautifully, you've evidenced your love for the Lord and this, this church in real tangible ways in your tithes and offerings. Remember you can give directly, send it in to our offices. If you want to do it the traditional way you can give online, you can give on the app, which is what I do. But like I always say, let's first give him our heart. But right now let's enjoy this moment. Even, even now, Lord, let the joy of the Lord fill us. Hello, sunshine. Goodbye, rain. Here we go.
right. Ah, <laughs> yeah. In a bad news world, let's seek to be a people of the good news. In a bad news world, let's seek to be a people of the good news. And this extra thought that I was going to share, here it is. In a low trust world, let's seek to be a people of high trust. A high trust people in a, low, in a low trust world. And that's not going to be dependent on other people, what they do. We have our own internal compass, don't we? And our desire is to live by the ways of Jesus and to let his spirit guide us, even as the Lord has provided for us. We, turn, we in turn want to be a people who return the good by being a blesser. And one of the best ways we can bless is when we seek to be a lover of people. And one of the best ways we can love people is to be trustworthy and reliable, dependable, faithful. Yeah, Lord, help us to do that even as you are for us, because you're so good and you're so God and you want us to do what? So good and so God. And yeah, you know this. My prayer for you is that you would live as one loved in Christ Jesus. And I would ask even now, Lord, that you would keep us all in our spirit, in our soul, in our body and in our minds. Yeah, in our minds, our bodies and our minds. In Jesus' name.